For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. So this is a reading from 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The word of the Lord. Okay, so um, I think what I agree with Jerry, Paul, uh, that was the author of, um, actually, sorry, is John. John and Paul and some of the other uh, epistle writers tend to go on and on and on when really just a few verses would have probably sufficed. And so when we're talking about 14 or 15 verses here, there is just so much to unpack uh, that actually this whole week I, I went from like, oh, I love this passage. It's about love. I mean, this is the best. And then as I started to study more, I started posting on Facebook like, hey, those of you other preachers that are doing this uh, passage, help a brother out. <laughs> to, I actually asked people on Facebook to, to you know, help me out because really this passage is brutal. Um, and I'm going to share some of what I, what I found uh, later on. But when you, um, when you hear these words, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love God does not know God, for God is love. That should raise some questions. And we are a community that likes to ask those questions. So what are some questions that, that those two sentences raise for you? I will, Karen. See what I mean? Even the first two sentences are like so dense that you gotta, like an editor wouldn't have hurt. Um, <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And it's right there on your liturgy if you need to look at it again. Uh, what are questions that raise in your mind about just those two, those two sentences that start off the passage? <laughs> yes. Greg, do we really believe it? Or did you say, or do we make up our own thing about what love is and how to love and what love isn't and all that stuff? Exactly. Do we really believe it, or do we, do we make up our own thing? What else? Why is, there hate? Why, why is there hate if God is love and God created out of that love? Perfect. Love it. Yeah, we've been taught that only a certain group of people are from God. And it certainly has a whole lot more to do than just love. It can't be just love, people that know God and they're from God. Because we've developed theology books and, and seminaries and churches that, are, are, that make sure people have that answer better than just they love. So, but in the Bible, actually, it says something that challenges that. Is that, is that what you're saying, Heidi? Yes, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's some nuance here because Bob said, I would admit that there are times where I'm unloving, but yet I, I don't want to go so far as to say that I don't know God. I, I, I do think I know God. So what, what is it? Yeah, what gives? Yeah, nothing can compare to that love. Once you've been affected by that love, seized by that love, once you really know that love, you do wander, but that love has a way of saying, you rascal, you know, I, we're good. Um, yeah, George. Whoa, that's good. I wonder about people that know love, but don't know why. Anything more you want to say about that? I mean, that was beautiful. Anything more? Yeah. Yeah. So I know people who know love and who are loving. There's no question about that. But they themselves would say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't buy any of that stuff. But they're loving. And what do we do with that? 
Okay, so where do you think that came from, that love, right? That's good. Yeah, Sally. Love is. Yes. The source of love. Yes. Even maybe a place that inhabits us. And actually, um, I like that, Sally, that the gospel text in today's lectionary is the John 15, where Jesus encourages people to abide in him. And so that's, that's, that's very um, consistent with the lectionary text. Okay, um, we're going to ask more questions. Don't worry about it. Um, but I want to ask one more question before we get to a choose your own adventure, which is what we are going to do today. And that is, why should you love one another? That is an all-play question. Why? Because it, it feels good? Yes. Feels better than not loving. Awesome. Yes. Because we want to be loved. Yes. Thank you, Linda, for being honest. I mean, someone had to say it. God commands us to. I mean, that would be an answer, right? God commands us to. So I guess I will. Okay. He commands us to. God commands us to because God knows that we may be miserable if we don't. Go ahead. Get up here, sister. You say it louder. Stand up and say it louder. Okay, thank you. If God abides in us, then by definition, we'll be overflowing with that love and we'll essentially have to share that. Or when people bump into us, if we're overflowing with love, they will get splashed on with love. Um, is how I interpreted that. <laughs> Not nearly as eloquently, I will say. So... Um, we still have the question, yeah, but what about people who are loving but don't believe in God or know God? How do we deal with that? Um, and the choose your own adventure I want to go to, and we're going to vote, so you have to pick one or the other, and then I'll go that direction or the other, because we just can't do both, is there's two directions we could go. One direction is saying, okay, I get it. Love, we should love one another. Love comes from God. But loving one another is so very hard to do. How can we learn to do it better? That's one direction. Or we could say, you know, we probably know a lot more about love than we realize. We probably love a whole lot better than we give, give ourselves credit for, but we probably forget who God is and who we are. So help me remember that. Now, those are, we're going to talk about the same thing, but those are two very different frames of reference, two very different places to start. Does that make sense how they're different? And depending on where you start, you're going to end up in a different place. So does everyone understand the two choices? 
It's really, really, okay. So choice number one, loving one another is really hard, super hard. I fail at it a lot. How can we learn how to do it better? Or we know a lot more about love than we realize. We love probably a whole lot better than we give ourselves credit for, but we forget who God is, who we are. So help me remember. Help me learn how to remember. Does everyone get it? Who votes for number one? It's hard. How can we learn how to do it better? And you got to put them up high so I can get a real sense of the room. Okay. One-fourth, maybe? One-eighth? I was an English guy, not math. <laughs> uh, okay, who votes for number two? Jeez, we had a lot of non-votes, but um, I think, what do you think, George? Should, should we start with number two and see where we get? All right, I got to go to number two. I did. I warned you on Facebook. Uh, okay, let's go right to verse 17, all right? Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. What's the day of judgment? Oh, wow. I didn't expect that. Today is the day of judgment. Gosh. All right. Because, come on. Because as he is, Jesus, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We, are, we love because he first loved us, which is what we heard from the back. Now, the word perfected is a bad translation. That really should, meet, should say completed. Love has been completed in us. Perfected is weird. It's like we get it wrong, we get it right, we get it perfectly, we don't get it perfectly, and we're caught in a, just a quagmire of perfectionism. It just means love has been completed among us in this, that we'll have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we. Now, as Jesus is, so are we. What does that mean? That's an all play. He's given us his righteousness, yes. We are like him. Thank you, Anthony. His life living in us? We have his life living in us. Here's the thing. Jesus of Nazareth was a perfect container of all that is human and all that is divine. Now, we tend to look at that as a theological concept that we have to believe in or else the atonement theories don't work. Do you know what I mean by that? So we get all theological. But if we just look at it from a practical standpoint, Jesus of Nazareth was the first human being of the rest of humanity that will be a perfect container of humanity and divinity. He was the first Yes, yes, and, and again, love has been completed among us because the person of Jesus is the first human being, the second Adam, the first human being of a new creation. He is a container that contains all that is human and all that is divine. That's the incarnation, right? What does that mean for us if we are like him? 
we have the opportunity for that, says Dan. Any pushback? No, we have the total capacity to achieve No, no pushback, says Bob. We have the total capacity to achieve that. Jesus said to his disciples at the very end, you will do even more than I have done. Remember that? Now, commentators usually say about that. In fact, they actually, like if you read most commentators, they'll say things like, certainly they don't mean, certainly Jesus didn't mean that we would do more than Jesus did. But actually, I think that's exactly what Jesus meant. (laughs) Precisely. So we can be people who are filled with humanity and filled with divinity, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the life of Jesus. That's what Jesus means when he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. So there's a, uh, James Finley writes this, um, and it's a riff off of Meister Eckhart. And um, Meister Eckhart was a brilliant person, I think 16th century, 17th century maybe. Um, But listen to this poem. Infinite love in an act of love creates us in the image and likeness of love for love's sake alone. Moment by moment, the generosity of God is poured into our lives such that we are the generosity of God. It is not achieved, the seeing of this, by attaining anything because nothing is missing. That's just good old Psalm 23. The task, or sorry, but we don't see it. Why don't we see it? Because it's not achieved by attaining anything because nothing is missing. The task then is to begin to understand what the hindrance is made of. So when we talk about help me remember that I am made of love and I am moving toward love, I tend to forget. I, t- I, I know I do this more than I, than I know. Um, but, but there is something I don't see. There is something I don't get. There is a hindrance. What's the hindrance? That's an all-play question. To seeing that actually we are the generosity of God. We are made by love for love alone. That there's no achieving or attaining that. or a receiving of it. Ego. Ego's, in the, ego's the hindrance. Yes, say more. Anyone? Yes, in the back. Our sinful nature, yes. Woundedness, yes, John. Self-compassion, yes. <laughs> the commentators that keep telling us wrong things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, do we actually believe this radical truth that we are made in God's image and everyone else else is as well? Or are we like the the scribe that asked Jesus, how was it, how is it that I'll receive eternal life? And Jesus asks him, tell me what the commandments say. And the scribe answers correctly, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answers, correct. Correct. Do this and you will live. And then the scribe asks the question that we are all afraid to ask, but we all have as well. Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
So that's like that's to your point is is we tend to not believe. And these days, you might say um, the undocumented immigrant is the Samaritan, or the Palestinian Arab, or the, you name the person that might be for you. Maybe it's the president of the um, Southwestern Baptist Seminary right now. Um, who, who is it that it's hard for you to believe that could actually be loving or could actually be made in the image of God? Say it again. And about ourselves, too, exactly. So 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. Question, what is fear? Ooh, I like that, Bob. Lack of trust. What is fear? Something that holds us back, thanks to Cole. What is fear? Ooh, say that again. I love that. Say more. A redirection of our intention. Say more. Yeah, it's a misdirection. I love that. So good. What is fear? Anticipation of danger. And in that sense, Charles, fear is not always like the worst thing in the world. I mean, fear kept us alive when we were in prehistoric times so that, you know, the tigers didn't eat us. I mean, it's, you know, the amygdala was formed after the flight, fight response. And so we're not saying fear has no purpose at all. But when it comes to a higher level of consciousness like loving each other, What part does fear play in that? What if I'm rejected? What else? What if I'm found out? They're probably going to hurt me, and they probably are going to hurt you. Self-preservation at all costs. Thank you. Say it louder, Greg. Um, Greg. <laughs> okay, George, say, say, say it louder. Something is true that you don't want to acknowledge is true. I would also add something is not true that you wanted to believe was true. That sometimes fear has us tangled up all in that. What does it mean that fear has to do with punishment? You guys, you're not used to this level of Socratic questioning, but you love it. What does it mean that fear has to do with punishment? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look it up, Pam. But you could. Blue, blue letter Bible, look it up. Um, I don't know. Am I, am I... Remember, we're comparing fear with love now. And we say perfect love casts out fear. And fear has to do with, with punishment. Why would you want to punish someone? Or why would you feel like you deserve punishment? Because you've transgressed. You've done something wrong. What, why else? Sometimes scarcity feels better. 
Yeah. We can keep ourselves punished. And that sometimes does feel more comfortable. I know that I agree totally. It makes no sense when you say it out loud, but then we know how to categorize things, you know? We know that we're, we know we're in the right box. We know how to keep navigating in this way. If we're going to live by love, we really have to radically reorient how, where, where it is that we find the source of what it is that we give and get, correct? So I, I did ask people on Facebook to answer this question, if fear says this, what does love say? And I got a bunch of responses. I'm going to read some of them to you. Fear says, I will jump into your life and save you from whatever trouble you are having. Fear says that. Love says, I am over here loving you if you need me. I like that. Fear says, I can't unconditionally love you because I've always believed what I've always believed is true and biblical tells me that the nature of who you are is wrong. Love says, loving your neighbor is more important than upholding misunderstood old laws and scripture. Fear says, why? Love says, why not? Fear holds grudges. Love believes in second chances. Fear says, I have to be in control. Love says, I can trust others to walk with me. Fear says, or else. Love says, no matter what. Fear says, I will keep you safe. Love says, I see your worth. Fear says, you cannot survive this. Love says, ah, but you were born for it. Fear says, I'm a failed Christian, for I have fought a losing battle against addiction to this one sin for months, years, decades. God couldn't possibly still love me. But love says, the world for years saw a spiritual failure, but God saw a fighter who fought a long struggle to reduce his sinful passion. Um, what are your reactions as you heard those? Pick love. <laughs> yeah. What else? Love heals. Love heals. Yeah. What else? It's a battle of reconciling who we know we've been with who God says we are. What else? Love is uncomfortable. Yeah. Love is uncomfortable, Sean. Love is the true story and fear is the lie. I love that. Anyone else? <laughs> there were so many more I could have read, too. Um, so, um, I, I do believe, fundamentally, we love better than we think. And I do believe, fundamentally, we don't give ourselves credit or each other credit for loving well the way that we do. I also believe that fear really gets in the way. I do believe fear says, if you put yourself out there and get rejected, which you will, then 
that will harm you uh, in a sort of in in a way that you can't recover from. Love says, I have already done that time and time again, put myself out there, and gotten rejected time and time again. And so I know what that feels like. And there's a great big campfire of people who have also been through that, <laughs> that if you just can break out of that tribe over there that says scarcity wins and fear wins, you're going to find a whole community of people who've been really, really loving and really, really hurt, but they've somehow found a way to get Now they have a kind of fear. And we say fearlessness, usually thinking of like courage, and it does courage. Um, can I switch to this? I think I'm going in and out. Um, it, it also, <laughs> hi, hi. It, it also means I'm no longer so controlled by fear that I keep forgetting who I am. I'm no longer so controlled by fear that I keep forgetting who I am. And so there's these two different tribes of people one tribe of people are so afraid to say it the way they really think or the way they really mean it that they hedge their bets and they look for the extremes and the majority opinion in order to get their value and their worth. And that is just the only, that, that is the system that's working for them. And so you cannot, I know it sounds a little pejorative to say it, but like they're not going to break out of that until they get hurt enough and, and realize there's actually a better way to live. But there's a whole other group of people in the world that have decided that love really does win and that they're really going to stake their lives on it and that they're going to be willing to be wrong or to be called wrong because they believe that we really ought to love one another because love really does come from God. And love really is the culmination of the arc of scriptures. The scriptures are always going somewhere. They're going toward redemption, resurrection, love, and that's what Jesus is trying to embody. And that's why, if, you don't, if you're not mad at Jesus sometimes, then you probably aren't understanding that he's trying to move you from the tribe of self-protection to the tribe of where you can understand that there's nuance to life and there's paradox to life, but you're going to choose love. But sometimes moving from this tribe to that tribe um, takes some pruning, doesn't it? So really quickly, in three minutes, I'll get to part of the other side because I think this is good for even um, both sides. So love is hard in part because... Um, in, the, in the gospel text, John 15, 5 for this week's lectionary text, which Sally was really alluding to without saying it, we read this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener, the vine grower, Jesus says. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. So what I learned this week is that before pruning, a grapevine may have 200 to 300 buds that are capable of producing fruit. That's a lot. But if a vine is left unpruned, the number of grape clusters would be too excessive, and the grapevine would be unable to ripen the large crop or sustain adequate vegetative growth. 
My question is, why would God create a vine that couldn't sustain all the buds that come out of it? It really does make such a good example, Greg. But I think we have this question in ourselves. Like, why, like, why can't we just, why can't we, you know, flow out to our full potential? What, what is stopping us? But there's a, there's a movement that I believe love has to do in us, and that is pruning to make us realize that we actually can't, be all things to all people. There's a really fine line between loving someone and trying to be God to someone. It's really close. You can try to love someone really well, but if you're trying to be their God and be their source because it's giving you something that feels real good, um, that needs to be pruned. So um, there's three basic forces in nature, creation, stability, and destruction. Which is the most loving? Bob says creation. Anyone disagree? Karen says we need all three. Anyone disagree or agree with Karen? Should we do a wrestling match up here to see who? Jenny says, I think destruction has its place. Three forces in the universe, creation, stability, destruction. There are things in me that need to be pruned. That's loving. When it comes to loving each other, though, it takes a great deal of discernment to try to figure out how to love me when I need a creative force versus a stabilizing force versus a pruning or destructive force. That's going to take a lot of trust and a lot of time and a lot of wisdom and a lot of discernment. Amen? So when it comes to loving each other really well, that's why it is hard. That would be if you chose the first option because it takes great discernment. The only way we'll learn how to do it, though, is by doing it and failing at it and then saying, yeah, that wasn't very helpful. (laughs) Like when someone tries to help, you know, yeah, good try. This actually happened to me on Thursday with me and Mary. She was telling me something. I was trying to help. She said, all those things you just said are true, and I don't feel heard. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But I knew she was right. I mean, because it's actually not the first time that kind of thing has happened. Um, That's how you learn how to love, right? By saying that and also hearing that. Oh, okay. So what do you need right now? Let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So as you move into 60 seconds of silence, my invitation for you is to ask love, what love would have you hear from love? What would love want to say to you right now? So we'll take 60 seconds and then move into the prayers of confession, and then into the Eucharist. Come Holy Spirit, speak to us now.